because I'm a stutterer. I was a good enough basketball player from the very beginning. I started playing against NBA players when I was 14 years old. And I was a straight A student. And uh, so, and, and we had no money. Like we never went to the doctor, you know, you'd have a bone sticking out of your arm and you'd just rub some dirt on it, you know, put, put a long sleeve shirt on if we even had a long sleeve shirt. You know, we, we grew up, we had, you know, our, our family home was wonderful. It was a place of love and hope and optimism and joy and inclusion. And my parents were incredible. But, you know, I, I was out the door. I was, I, I, I'm up before, I'm up before the sun to this day and, I, and I'm on on my way, on my way, and uh, ho hopefully to the top of the mountain, never forgetting, never forgetting that nobody makes it to the top of the Oh, when you, when you told us that that night in Santa Cruz, it changed my life forever. Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold, say yes to adventure, say yes to living it. Welcome to Chris Waddell Living It, where we talk with experts in the experience of being human. Today, what am I doing here? What am I doing here if you're looking for experts? I'm Bill. And I'm your you are Bill and you are an expert. You're my, uh, you're my hero. I'm your biggest fan, man. What a thrill and privilege for me to be on Living It. Because I try to live it every single day. But I have two skills. Two skills in my life. First one is that I am uh, guilty of mistaking activity for achievement. And then the next one is that uh, I'm always finding myself in places where I don't belong. And this show epitomizes those two descriptions of my life. How are you, my good friend, my great friend? Chris Waddell, oh my gosh, we're living it. What's going on? We are living it. This is this is such a fun thing, and 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 I don't agree with you in terms of your assessment. I think this is exactly where you're supposed to be because you're allowed to disagree, but uh, I'm just laying it down here. What we'll do is we will talk now, and we'll let the audience decide whether you were supposed to be here or not. Because okay. I think you are an expert in the experience of being human, and and to me, I try. My best every day. I wake up every day and I, I ask myself, what is the best thing that I could do today for everyone else in my life and everyone else in the world? And then I try to do all of those things. I always fall short, but it's not for lack of trying. I get frustrated. I get disappointed. I get sad, I get brokenhearted, I get disenchanted. And then all I have to do is pick up this incredible little book that a friend gave me years ago. And I, I, I disagree with the title. The title is Things I Want to Remember Not to Forget. And I've been ruminating, I've been brewing over the title because I would change the title instead of things I want to remember not to forget, things I need to remember not to forget. And so please excuse me if I mischaracterize the book that you have written, a book that I always keep in arm's reach wherever I'm going to be. And I need, uh, I need to, to go on Amazon and buy a few more copies, but uh, because this copy is getting... Uh, worn uh, threadbare but every time I'm up against it every time I'm feeling down every time I'm feeling beaten every time I'm I'm, I'm feeling like okay it's just not happening every time I feel lost every time I, I I don't have the confidence that I need every time I'm not on tour with the Grateful Dead that uh, I can just reach out to things I want, things I need to remember not to forget. And all I have to do is open it and it, it, open it anywhere. And I, and I was just looking through it as I was uh, uh, tr trying to calm down to come on this intergalactic tour as we ricochet through so many different galaxies. But uh, man, 
to be acknowledged by the Dalai Lama, to be acknowledged by People Magazine, man, <laughs> you're on the top. <laughs> and, and I've been on top before. I've also been on the bottom and I, I much prefer being on top. Being on top is definitely a great place to be. Can I go through just a little bit of, uh, just by way of introduction? Because some no. of this stuff I knew, uh, and, and it's interesting because it was a little bit different time when you went through college, right? So you were three-time All-American in college. I started in college 52 years ago. I was super lucky in that I had the greatest parents ever. Parents who had zero interest in sports, but had complete interest in me, little Billy. And so my mom, who was our town's librarian, my mom, when I was four years old, she pushed me out the door. She said, time for you to get going. And so it was fantastic. I had an older brother who was a phenomenal role model for me and protector, big brother. He sadly died, died of football just a, a little bit before COVID started. And so ever since, I mean, so many people have died since COVID started. And you know, it's really been for you. He played football though, right? So he was a he played for the Cowboys. Yes. Oh yeah. He played for played for uh, our elementary school. And you know, he was the right tackle and I was the tight end. And he was the entire defensive line. And I was the I was the middle linebacker. I was the Ray Nitschke. I was the a junior Seau. I was the Kellen Winslow. And uh, and he just, you know, he was a big, huge dude. And he, he, he got down, but he died of football. It was a, a long, slow and painful death. It was just heart wrenching, you know, to see this, uh, this fantastic physical specimen just uh, be bedridden, be, you know, comatose. And then finally to just, oh. you know, everything just stopped working at, at a very young age. And so anyway, uh, but we, we move on and uh, what happens over the course of your life is that particularly for someone like me who always, always played up, I was always, uh, you know, I was always out there against much, much older people when I was playing uh, in the early days until I became one of the older guys. And then all my heroes were uh, much older than I am. I'm 69 now. And a lot of those people, you know, have passed on. Fortunately, you're still here. You're still here to guide me when you find yourself in times of trouble. Chris Waddell, come to me. Yeah, let's go. That is interesting. I mean, and talking about your brother, because it sounds like you guys had some battles. Oh, yeah. No, he the one-on-one -on -one battles. I mean, did this toughen you up as a... I loved, I loved close games. I mean, I... I played a game to, you know, I, I played the game of basketball. I, I haven't been able to play basketball in 36 years. And so, but when I did play, you know, I, I played to win, I played to win big. And uh, so, but I, I, when I played against him, you know, he, he was big, you know, he, he, he weighed 300 pounds in high school and he would just pummel me on a constant basis. And my mom, who was, you know, running the show, because my dad was, my dad was fantastic, but my dad worked, he was a working man. As I am, and, and my dad, you know, was a social worker by day, an adult educator by night, and a music teacher on the weekend. You know, my dad was, you know, out there trying to keep it all together for a family of six, mom and dad and four children. And so my mom had to threaten to call the police on a constant basis to, to get Bruce uh, uh, to stop beating, beating me up and, and, and throwing me into the pampas grass. And oh my gosh. But anyway, it, it worked out in, uh, uh, you know, Coach Wooden, Coach Wooden wanted Bruce to be on the UCLA basketball team, but uh, but Bruce uh, was uh, very very involved in the in the social scene that was UCLA in those days, and and he he saw that uh, Coach Wooden already had Sven Nader, and he said, Coach, little Billy, he's a, he's in good hands with Sven there, so I, I I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go to the games as a fan and and, and enjoy meeting all the beautiful people that, uh, you know, not all those beautiful people made it to People Magazine, so 50 most beautiful people in the world. Is that in the world or is that in the universe, man? That's I, I, yeah, I, I think they call it the world, but maybe it's the universe. I think let's, let's paint this picture a little bit because you were saying Bruce was 300 pounds. Yeah, I was about 165 in those days. 
it, well, but but even going back a little further, you said it, at 14, you were 6'1 and like 110 pounds? Uh, 13, I was I was 6'1. Six 6'1, one. Six one, but 110 pounds, and then... It was, uh, you know, I was very thin. You, you grew... The few, time, the few times we ever went to the doctor in, in our family, was, my, my parents were concerned that there was something wrong because I was so skinny. Uh, that is no longer the case. Uh, now I just sort of, oh my gosh, I'm trying my best, Chris, but I just love to eat, you know, and, and I'm always hungry, always. And I was always hungry uh, as a child. Uh, I was always hungry at UCLA, never for very long. And then, you know, one of the coolest things that, that, uh, that Adam Silver did, uh, I, I forget the guy's name. Uh, I think it was maybe uh, Shabazz Napier from Connecticut. He was a big star at the time. And this was a few years ago, but Adam Silver had just taken over the range of the NBA from, from David Stern. And, and you know, it, there were some problems with the NCAA and the regulations and the players couldn't eat and couldn't get enough food. I mean, when you're a competitive athlete, you are consuming huge amounts of food and calories and everything. And it was this, this he was the best player in the NCAA tournament that year. They won the championship. And the night before, he's saying, I'm so hungry and we don't have any food. And Adam Silver, he made a statement, uh, don't worry, Shabazz, we'll feed you. We, we've got plenty of food here in the NBA. But the, you know, the, the absurd nonsense that we face on a constant basis and the, the incredible levels of inequity literally across the board and everything it, it, it's it is it, it's so disheartening because I had I had the perfect childhood it was wonderful you know I, I didn't I didn't really know and understand that everybody didn't have great parents and I didn't learn that until I went to the NBA and I was 21 years old uh, you know I, I was 21 before I encountered people that didn't have my best interest at heart and so, you know, here I am today at 69 and the luckiest guy in the world. I'm alive. I live in my hometown. I'm married to the woman of my dreams. Not long enough. Uh, I, I live in the house of my dreams. San Diego, on the edge of Balboa Park. It might, you know, I don't and I can't speak for Lori. You're going to have to have her do her own show with you here. But uh, and, and, I, and I'm talking to Chris Waddell, man, the, one of the Dalai Lama's heroes and also one of uh, People Magazine's uh, most beautiful people in. Is it this universe or is it all universes? I, I, I just can't keep it straight. Yeah, all universes would be would be a, a bold statement, right? I mean, but, we're, but we're... you're a bold guy. And that's one of the things that I need to try to be. And when I try to be you, you know, I just lead through that book and, and, and the level of confidence, you know, for someone who has achieved so much with the challenges that you face. Uh, but that's really the ultimate measure of who we are, who we are as a society, who we are as individuals. Because the strength of the team is the strength of the individual. And when we ignore, when we leave behind the people who are struggling, the people who don't get it, the people who don't have the opportunities that we just take for granted, that is a stain and a stigma on us as a culture, as a community, as a society. And we need to do whatever we can to rinse that stain and, and stigma off of our souls. Sadly, too many people, they wake up in the morning and they ask the question of what's the worst thing I can do in the world today for everybody out there. And sadly, I, those people have a way of finding me. And you know, I, try to, I try to find the bright side of the road. I try to see what love can do. And uh, uh, I, I have to go out and, and search for that. Whereas evil, evil has a way of finding me. Oh my gosh. But I'm trying my best not to complain. 
I'm trying my best not to whine or make excuses. I'm with Chris Waddell today, who has every reason in the world to complain, to whine, to make excuses, and he doesn't. He writes books, things I want, things I need to remember not to forget. I have no memory. That's one of the real challenges that I face in my life. How you doing, Chris? I am doing great. When did this all start, Bill? Because, I mean, in, like in reading your book, you, you were talking about some of your coaches, like talking about Rocky, your first coach, talking about John Wooden. And, and one of the things you said that really was interesting to me is that they were teaching you not the game, but they were coaching life. Well, the, the people in my life, they were more concerned about me than they were concerned about themselves. And so much of that, you know, today at 69, I can trace that back to the culture that we had here in San Diego growing up. And so much of the culture of Southern California in the world of sports, which I chose, you know, and, you know, my parents, I never shot a basket with my dad. I, I saw him run one time at the church picnic and fell over laughing. You know, my mom, who passed away uh, January 8th of this year, this year being 2022, she was 20, she was 23 days shy of being 95 years old. And I went and saw her every day. She lived in the same house for 69 years. They moved there right when I was born. And I'd go there every day. And uh, towards the end, you know, it was tough and for her, but she never complained. She never whined. Uh, she never made excuses. Lori's parents, they live with us now here in San Diego. They're the finest people ever. They're 99 and 94 and completely self-sufficient. Uh, but this, but those people, they never complain. They never whine. They never made excuses. They just went out and got the job done. These people that lived through the Depression, lived through World War II, lived through all the evil and the sadness and just everything going wrong. And they just keep fighting all the time. And so on this day, I'm, I'm holding my mom in, in my arms and I'm telling her I love her and I'll see her tomorrow. I kiss her goodnight. And I put the blanket up over her shoulders. And as I turn to walk out the door, she said, Billy, thanks so much for coming. I love you. I love you. And it's so great. I can't wait till tomorrow. But uh, did you ever get a job, Billy? And so uh, it was just uh, a fantastic life. And that was my life growing up. And, and so much of that I, I can trace back now as a 69-year-old person and just getting started. But these two incredible forces uh, on, a, on a global intergalactic scale like yours, uh, Chick Hearn and John Wooden. And now Chick Hearn as the broadcaster for the Lakers on the radio every day. Now, one thing about the, about the NBA, you know, it's an everyday deal. And so more so now than ever. I mean, the season used to have a start and a stop. Now it's just, okay, what's, now we got summer league. Now we got the draft. Now we got the G League. Now we got the WNBA. Now we got Basketball Africa League. So it just never really stops now. But Chick Hearn was, you know, one of the critical elements of success for a group dynamic is someone who can deliver the message. And that was Chick. And then I had John Wooden because every coach and every teacher that I had in the, in the great public school systems that we had and hopefully still have in, in, in San Diego, these, these you know, history teachers, physics teachers, chemistry teachers, biology teachers, uh, civics, you name the subject, they were all John Wooden fans. Because John Wooden, who was, when I was growing up, he was omnipresent, uh, not in terms of making commercials, not in terms of going out and making speeches. He was a teacher and he wrote everything down and, and he just gave it away And he because he wanted to see other people succeed. He wanted to see other people succeed in a uh, team concept where there was acknowledgement to the help that was generated and provided along the way. And so th th that was my life. And, and, then I, and I got to go up there uh, from San Diego, got to go to Los Angeles. I left when I was 17 and, uh, and uh, just been chasing the dream ever since. Now, the dream changes as yours has changed. And, and one of the things 
that we have to do is to be able to accept the limitations. And, and that is so difficult because, you, you know, you always think that you, you want to keep getting better and doing more. But as we age, as we get injured, and everybody does, some more seriously than others, it's hard to be more injured than you. But here you are. I mean, you're one of the Dalai Lama's heroes, and you're one of the 50 most beautiful people throughout all universes. And now here I am trying to live it with you. And the living it that I've had with you over the course of our lives, which started through the Challenged Athletes Foundation, which has been just absolutely critical in my life in terms of giving me the sense of the tolerance and the patience and the perspective and the relativity and how we're all challenged athletes and we're all trying to do what we can. And, and to see you do what you do and to know your story and to read your books and to watch your movies and to learn uh, one of my all-time favorite mantras and all-time you know themes in my life, nobody makes it to the top alone. And you didn't even say it. Somebody had to say it to you and then you were able to pass it on and that's the way it works. And so think of like when I'm in trouble. Now, I've been raving about your book. We haven't even talked about your wife Jean's book, Partnering, and how brilliant and fascinating that has been in my life. And just so, uh, you know, the reaffirmation that you get when you find goodness in life. And so here it was, you know, you're coming along and, and, and you're climbing, you're climbing, it's just going great. And then all of a sudden, you're, you know, you stumble, you fall, you need some help. So, you know, besides your book, besides Gene's partnering book, things I need to remember not to forget, right? I mean, that in like, I don't know, is it like 35 pages or what? I mean, it's, it's probably about that, 7,200 words. It's more of a pamphlet almost. It's book. like fantastic. And, uh, but, you know, when I need help, besides going to things I need to remember, I, I'm just going to automatically change the title of your book. I'm going to take the, the editorial uh, privilege of changing the title for my purposes. Uh, I like it. And, and so when I find myself in the times of trouble and I've forgotten your book from my briefcase on a road trip, I can always go on the internet to my favorite site, sites for quotes, Albert Einstein, mm -hmm. FDR, Mark Twain, Robert Hunter, Bob Dylan, and our college basketball coach. <laughs> that, was, that was how special this dude was. And he had no idea. He had no idea how great a teacher he was. He, you know, he knew he was successful and, and he knew that people liked him, but you know, he, he, he was not one to, to look for credit, look for acknowledgement, look for recognition, look for awards, look for monetization of his success he was a working person who just who, who just kept going all the way to the end the same way that chick hearn did i mean chick hearn died on the job at a at a at an un, at an unspecified uh year in his life because uh the chick did not really want to talk about how old he was but he, he was such a he was such a joy he was such a, a spiritual force of nature, Chick was. And when I found, I was nine years old when I found him on the transistor radio. And I just could not believe this voice because I, I'm a stutterer and speaking is my greatest challenge of all. I mean, I, basketball was super easy. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. Academics were next. I mean, straight A student the whole way. Uh, my challenge is orthopedic health. You have orthopedic health issues as well. Uh, but my biggest challenge was my speech impediment in that I just could not talk at all until I was 28 years old. And here was Chick Hearn. And I find him when I'm nine years old and he is just going a mile a minute. He is speaking faster than my brain can think and calculate. And, 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 and I love speed. I love fast. I love basketball and bicycle racing and rock and roll music and drumming and playing the piano and, and just... And, and I love the speed and pressure of chess. 
and you know when you're just sitting there and you, and you just want to just you know one of the cool things about chess is that when things aren't going your way you can't start a fight man and so like in basketball if you're having a tough go you can always just start a fight and try to turn things around there but that's when it's always nice to have have maurice lucas as your teammates and i had that privilege as well but learning how to speak my greatest accomplishment and your worst nightmare well, I mean, but you speak now. I mean, this is the amazing thing is that that you people who have known me my whole life, they come up to me and they say, how did you do that? How did you learn how to speak? Because I'm a stutterer and I could not say hello. I could not say thank you. I just could not speak. I had no idea. I was a good enough basketball player from the very beginning. I knew I was going to play in the, in the NBA from, literally from the very beginning. I started playing against NBA players when I was 14 years old. Uh, I was a straight A student. And uh, so, and, and we had no money. Like we never went to the doctor, you know, you'd have a bone sticking out of your arm and you just rub some dirt on it, you know, but put a long sleeve shirt on if we even had a long sleeve shirt, you know, we, we grew up, we had, you know, our, our family home was wonderful. It was a place of love and hope and optimism and joy and inclusion. And my parents were incredible. But you know, I, I was out the door. I was. I, I'm up before. I'm up before the sun to this day. And and I'm on my way. On my way, and you know, ho hopefully to the top of the mountain. Never forgetting. Never forgetting that nobody makes it to the top alone. Oh, when you when you told us that that night in Santa Cruz. It changed my life forever. And I just, and, and, and I try to live by that mantra. I'm a team guy, a team guy who's been constantly pushed to be an individual and to go for it myself. But that's not who I am. I want to be part of the team. I'm not looking for credit acknowledgement. I'm not looking to go on living it and have you talk about me all the time. Uh, I just, I want to do what I can to help lift the lift the burden and ease the pain of the people who were suffering out there and there's a lot of those oh my gosh there are i think that i used one of your techniques in overcoming the stuttering because i was using it while i was speaking right and and one of the things i think that you did was was talking into into a mirror yes right is yes. this and, and and i've done that that's that's the hardest audience of any audience, right? Oh, well, no, that's one of the two. The other is speaking to the black space of a television camera when there's nobody on the other side that you can see. You know, I prefer the live interaction. You know, COVID killed me in terms of I'm a people person. And to go literally three years, three years without that connection, to be able to, you know, to, to be with the audience, to ask them questions, to learn about the audience, to see their facial expressions when you tell them something, to, you know, to be able to connect with them afterwards and to hear their stories and how it relates to our challenges. I love that. I love being on that basketball court, man. Uh, and as a broadcaster, I love being at the games. Now, we, we had to make all the adjustments. Because you know, COVID changed everything, and now the challenge for us is to make adjustments that make things better, and to come back with the, with the new now and make the new now better than the old then. And that's never easy. Harder, harder as we get older. As you're finding out, I mean, you're still a young guy. You're in your 30s, right? And so here I am. Sure. Yeah, 50s, actually, unfortunately, yes. Yeah, well, so you are starting to learn that everything takes endlessly more time, things are endlessly harder, and bringing back to nobody makes it to the top alone. Man, I, I got the greatest wife ever, and I, I never thought I would be happy in love, and I'm madly in love with my wife. I can't speak for Lori. Uh, she just, you know, but she she's still here she's still here and she's the woman of my dreams and i just she's the greatest everything ever in my life and there's just no way that i would even be alive today without her but you know she's at the top of that list a lot of other people you know the doctors who have helped you 
the doctors who have helped me, the family members who have helped you. I mean, there are, our paths are so similar, you know, except, you know, you're super handsome and the Dalai Lama loves you and People Magazine puts you on the cover, man. And so... <laughs> it's that's it's awesome so i mean what's interesting though is that so much of what you do is is you're you're telling the story i mean similar to this idea of your coaches teaching you about life right as a commentator well, that was chick Hearn, who was able to paint the words i view from high above the western sideline and he was he was so descriptive but he was so fast and, and, and the ability, you know, as, as athletes, as competitors, as business people, as, you know, people who are involved with, you know, in, in a relationship like we are in our friendship, but also in the relationship with our wives, who we love our wives and we love our children and all the different people in our lives. But that ability to, to create the scene to create the culture, the culture that we just desperately want to be a part of. Lori has done that with our home here. Lori has done that with our personal relationship and my love for her. But the coaches that I had, six of them who were in the Basketball Hall of Fame, many more who would be if my legs had held up. But I'm not going to sit here unlimited and talk to you about legs holding up, man. Come on. <laughs> I still got mine and I'm walking around our band is playing tonight and we'll be up there on stage for uh, i'm going to say we'll be up there on stage for three and a half hours and uh and there's just very little sitting down time and Lori and i were just on the grateful dead tour and, the, 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 and those shows now are four hours four and a half hours and there's very little sitting down time although although i have to make sure that there's some sort of place to sit always always nearby because you never know you never know how the game of life is going to play out you never know how a basketball game is going to play out you never know how the show living it's going to play out you never thought when you were coming up that you would have the physical challenges that you do none of us think that we think that we're invis invincible we think that we will last forever and keep going forever but it's the ability to adapt and the ability to accept and the ability to remember the things that we need not to forget. Oh my gosh. And the adaptation. I love being alive. I, I love being alive and I love spending time with you. And I just, and I, I remember the times when we'd be out there on the road riding our bikes together. We'd be, in, in, you know, at, at dinner time, at breakfast time. And it's just, it's just so inspirational. I always learn something brand new from you. And I love the book recommendations. You make the movie recommendations, all the different things you do. Uh, uh, I want to be Chris Waddell, man. That's who I want to be. <laughs> and then you moved to Utah. <laughs> and so these folks, Richard and Ann, were going to take a, a, a driving trip through Utah. And so when they told me they were doing this, I just lit up. Because when I was... When I was four and a half years on the ground, four and a half years on the ground with my spine uh, from 08 to 12 and a half. And, and I just, you know, the, I, I would always just try to imagine that, you know, maybe I'll get up again. You know, hopefully I'll get up again. Hopefully something good will happen, uh, you know, physically for me and I'll have a, one more chance. The chance that I begged Dr. Steve Garfin for on February 8, 2009, right. when the anesthesiologists right. were just putting the drip in and opened up the flow so they could do my spine surgery, which eight and a half hours. But again, these are all minimal things compared to what you have faced. And so I asked for that chance and Dr. Garfin gave it to me. He did his best. That's all he could promise me. He would do his best. I got the chance when I was lying there because now the very first thing I did you know, the very first thing, uh, you know, my, my very first outing uh, was I, I went to a, a, a minor league baseball park just up the road here in Elsinore, Lake Elsinore, and Bob Dylan, Willie Nelson, and John Mellencamp were playing a, 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 a three-part a three festival that night, and I, I sat in the owner's box. The team is owned by Gary Jacobs, the son of Irwin and Joan Jacobs, phenomenal entrepreneurs, phenomenal philanthropist and so gary gave me his box of sit in 
for this for, for Willie Nelson and John Mellencamp. And then I mean, I, I'm barely moving. Right, I got a cane, and and, I, and you can barely make it. But then when Bob Dylan came came on, I I got in. I got in the elevator, went down to the field level, and I worked my way onto the field and I got out into the crowd. And there I was, man, and Bob was singing. And it was just, you know, it, it, it was calmer crowd than it's at the dead shows. And so, and so, uh, and, and, and I began to heal and it was fantastic. And then when I, when I recovered from that, about the next thing that I did is that, uh, Lori and I, she was the SAG driver. She agreed to be the SAG driver. And we went, uh, this, the two of us, on a 10-day, 1,000-mile bike ride, uh, starting in Moab, uh, three days in Moab, and then down to the Needles Overlook, and then down to Monticello, then down to Blanding, and around the curve there, and the, the Monkey Wrench Gang, uh, Edward Abbey territory there, and the Escalante and then we went to Valley of the Gods. It's all on my bike, right? And the bridges and then crossing the Colorado and, 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 and Lake Powell and up to Hanksville and then making the left turn and going over towards Capitol Reef and then up to Torrey and Boulder Mountain and down to Boulder and then across to the Grand Staircase and more Escalante and then into Bryce and then over and around and down to Zion. And it was incredible. And I have just been going. I, I I want to go do it again. I, I, I'm not riding as long or as strong as I was, but I am still riding, and I love my bike. My my bike is everything. My bike is my is my gym and my wheelchair and my church all in one. And I, and I get healed. And, and when I ride my bike with you, I learn so much. And it's so many of us in that in that little uh, cluster that we have. You, me, Billy Lister. Uh, Andre the Giant, Lance Weir, and, and there's a lot of us. And I, and I got pictures in my gym of all of us. And, you know, when we're just coming in and we're just dazed and crazed, but we were out there, I get to ride my bike today, man. Nobody makes it to the top alone. I am the luckiest dude on earth. And you rode your bike when you're in the, in the NBA, though, too, right? I mean, you go for I've been a bike rider since I was five years old. I, I, you know, I love my bike and I love the freedom. I love the independence. And now that I've got a little bit of knowledge and education, I love the, the science and the engineering and the technology. And then I love the nutritional aspect of it. And I just, you know, I, just, I love the Tour de France. I, I, I love the Peacock streaming service because you get the, all the bike races and they're constantly, it is so easy to use and you get all the bike races on command and you can watch them and I just finished the Tour de France and what an incredible Tour de France. You know, Jonas Vingegaard, my goodness, you talk about, you know, learning becoming a great champion and then taking it right to the best of the best, Tati Pagacha right now, and just dropping him twice, twice on, 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 on the Gannon the first time and the Oticom at the end. And then, you know, basic, he basically won the time trial, but then he pulled back and said, I'm going to let my teammate, Wout Van Aert, win the time trial because, you know, the, the, those guys on Jumbo Visma, that's a team. And to see what Primoz Roglic did as much as he could when he, it was obvious that he wasn't going to be able to win, he became a teammate. And uh, I just love, I love cycling. But I've been riding my bike forever. It, it, it's it just, it, it's everything. And, it, and it's, it's one of the few places that I can be by myself. And I, you know, I, I don't answer the phone when I'm on my bike. But people would say, Bill, you never answer your phone. <laughs> the ringer's never on, and your voicemail's always full. So <laughs> I say, well, if you need to get a hold of me, just send me a text. I do pick it up. You know, one of the nice things about the, you know the iPhones is that it's you know it, it identifies who's calling you. And so <laughs> when Chris Waddell calls, I pick up. Is it, is it the meditation? Is it the Zen? Is it the physical? It's everything. And, and you know, I feel better when I ride my bike. It's like, it's like my medicine. You know, I'm always searching for medicine because I'm always sick. I'm always sick of something or somebody. And so here I am looking for that 
that way to feel better. And, and riding my bike does that. Now, I've, I've had to change as a bike rider. And my biggest change of late is that I've become a, a morning bike rider, early morning bike rider, you know, right out of bed in the morning. Well, I, I, I work for an hour and then I go out just to loosen it up a little bit. But because there's, you know, I live in the city. I live in the eighth largest city in the country. And it was, it's fantastic bike riding here if you know where to go. And But there's fewer people earlier in the morning and those people are nicer. And, and that has a huge impact on your ride because, the, you know, the sense that there's a lot of people that I encounter who think that people riding their bike are the root cause of all the evil that's in their life. And I don't see things that way. No, I see bicycle riding as being good for you, being good for me, being good for the planet, being good for everybody. Same way electric vehicles, same way rainwater capture off your roof, mm -hmm. uh, sustainability, environmentalism. We have to take care of our planet. Neil Young, let's go. Grateful Dad, you can run, but you can't hide. Yeah, Mother Earth, Neil Young, let's go. And Neil, you know, Neil has not started touring uh, since COVID. He, he is still sitting it out. And, uh, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, you know, he, he's coming back, but I think he's waiting until 23. And, but, uh, you know, we, we, we got a lot of work to do. And it's just, it's just the, the ongoing and endless challenges. And, and, and that, is another thing that you learn is that the challenges will never end. And, you know, we just, we just have to keep going with whatever we can do in all the different aspects of life that we're talking about and, and, and including the amount of time that it takes to work on our own personal foundation. And so, you know, I don't have to sit here and tell you that, and here you are, just look at you. I mean, you handsome dude looks like he should be in Hollywood making movies all the time you're you're that's probably next when when you're not cruising the the, the Caribbean or the, or, or the Mediterranean on some on some dude's yachts right so and I, I used to think that I was the luckiest guy in the world one of the reasons I think you're so lucky is you seem to accumulate heroes oh yeah and heroes and mentors how how, how does one I search them out that? I search them out and, you know, I wanted to be great from the very beginning. You know, I wanted to be great at whatever I did. Uh, I learned quickly that, that I could not do it by myself and that I, I needed a coach, I needed a team, teammates. I needed a platform. I needed a crowd. I needed a purpose. And so, it, you know, it's, and hopefully I'm a lot smarter now than I was when I first got started. And, you know, how, how does the song go? All the things I tried to do, but only did halfway. Some folks would be so happy to have just one dream come true. And then, <clears throat> and then when we ring the chimes of freedom, when it actually does happen and the dreams do start coming true and how we can never forget that while our life or me, my life early on, was hope, opportunity, and purpose, which then evolved into pride, loyalty, and gratitude. And then all the musicians. But the, the, one of the coolest things about uh, me in my life is that the choices I make and the choices I made when I was young, I mean, those choices have held up. You know, my best, my sports heroes as a child, you know, nine years old, Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali. They're still right there. Now, Muhammad is dead, uh, but he was a great friend. Bill Russell's uh, still going. He's, let's see, I, Bill's 88. Uh, he's 19 years older than I am, but uh, still in very close touch. And then uh, the political heroes, you know, they're dead. Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy. Uh, I'm a huge Obama fan. I just love, love Obama. And, you know, some of the rules, uh, like... Uh, some of the rules should not apply to Obama, like only two terms. <laughs> and, and then, uh, but uh, my musical heroes, the ones I picked when I was a teenager. Once I picked when I was a teenager, I mean, they're still there. 
And, you know, we're, we still tour with the Grateful Dead. And, I, you know, we were just in City Field in New York City. Because Lori and I, we went to the, uh, the first five shows of, there were 20 shows scheduled for Dead and & Company. And we said, well, we're, you know, come on, we, we've got a lot going on. We'll go to the first five, we'll go Dodger Stadium, Shoreline for two, Boulder for two. You know, those are close enough, but everything else is in the East. And so, you know, we just can't go. So we get to Boulder, the launching pad of the universe, and Folsom Field is just 50,000 fans, and they are blowing it out on Saturday night. And I turn to Lori and I say, we have to recalibrate our schedule. But the only ones that really worked for us were the last two in City Field. And so we get to New York, and we're there. Friday night is over-the-top spectacular. Saturday night, the, uh, the last show of the tour. For some reason, because I never sat home. I never sat at home and said, you know what? I think I'll just not go to the show tonight. You know, maybe there's something good on TV or <laughs> no. If I, if I can get there, I'd go to the show. because you never know something great's going to happen. And so we were at this last show and they came out and the crowd, the crowd was just over the top. It was the, it, there were 20 shows scheduled. They had to cancel one because John Mayer's dad had some health issues and John had to race home to make sure it was okay. And so they, they, they played 19 shows. Lori and I got to go to seven of them. We wish we had gone to all 19, but the last one, I mean, 70,000 fans at City Field over the top. The crowd was just driving and John Mayer, John Mayer came out and that night, July 16th, 2022, mark this date down in the history of the world. Yeah, the Dalai Lama, you know, for you and People Magazine cover, that night, July 16th, 2022, John Mayer became Michael Jordan. And it was, he, he just came out and you could see it in his eyes. And, you know, they, had, they got the cameras and the big video boards. And so, you know, you're right there in it. And, and John was just, you know, Bob Weir is better than he's ever been. Bill Kreutzmann, Mickey Hart driving the train. Jeff Kimente is awesome. One of the greatest keyboard players ever. O'Teal on the bass. And just an overwhelmingly star-studded team and cast. And, but this night, you know, Michael Jordan, the, the focus, the determination, the concentration, the willingness to just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep going. And it was just absolutely incredible. And everybody lived happily ever after, man. It was over the top. As a basketball player, did it get, was it weird, uh, surprising when your heroes then became friends, when the Grateful Dead? That was the best part because the people I chose as my heroes, I did not get to meet Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy. Mm -hmm. They were both assassinated before I was old enough. They were assassinated you know, within a couple months of each other when I was in high school. Right, 69. Uh, I didn't get to meet John Lennon either, but I met, met most everybody else who I wanted to meet. And uh, But when I got to know my heroes as friends and all the musicians and everything, uh, that they were even cooler than I thought. I mean, it was like when I met you, uh, you know, because I, I, I heard you speak before I met you. Because uh, we, you know, we met in Santa Cruz on the Challenge Athletes Million Dollar Challenge where we ride our bikes from San Francisco to San Diego. And you were the guest speaker on the first night in Santa Cruz. And, you know, the, those events are just so special. And what the Challenge Athletes Foundation has meant to me uh, personally, and all the different, you know, what, who I left out of that uh, team of guys, I, Mac Johnson, Mac Johnson, a, a much younger guy than all of us, and uh, but just the future, and just the coolest dude ever, and I met how I met him at, at Dateland on the Jerry Garcia Highway, in, uh, you know, just nine months after his, his accident, or, or maybe six months after his accident, and, uh, and how you know, I, I just saw this young man sitting there in his chair at, at Dateland, uh, just trying to get a date shake and, and the sadness in his face. And I just said, you know, this is not right. It's a beautiful day in the desert. And we're on the Jerry Garcia Highway, man. This note in the final four, just it was a great, great final four. Uh, although the losing teams never think it's a great final four. But that's one of the nice things about broadcasting. 
And so, you know, to meet all these guys and know all the different people and to find out how cool so many of them are. And uh, although I remember one time I was uh, reading, so D David Halberstam, uh, he, he was a great friend and a great mentor and really became my personal librarian as I took it to another level after my mom, who was the, the, the town's librarian, right? So every time that I would be in the hospital and David would find out about it, he'd go down to his bookstore and just fill up a box and ship it to me, right? I'm going to go someplace. I'm going to go to Australia. I'm going to go to Texas. I'm going to go to France. I'm going to go wherever. He'd send me books about all these places, right? And so he sends me this book that is just over the top, over the top, fantastic, life-changing book. I'm not going to mention the book because of the way the story will end. And so, and so I, I said, man, this book is just incredible. I got to meet this guy who wrote this book. And David, David says, Bill, you want no part of this guy. <laughs> He's an unhappy, bitter, angry uh, soul. And it's just... It, it, just read the book and enjoy it and learn from the book so uh but but all these different things that have come into my life i'm just the luckiest guy to you know to, to to have all these great coaches and teachers and mentors and friends and musicians and you know fighting the age-old battles that we sometimes won before and, and, and they just keep coming back i mean whoa yeah and, and i'd imagine it's the mutual thing we can never give up and, you know, we could never just like accept the absurd nonsense that people try to peddle all the time. And, and you know, I, I'm reading right now, I'm reading a, a Bob Woodward and his, uh, his book, uh, his book, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of the name of the book right now. I'm, I'm reading uh, uh, Peril, Peril, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. oh. Oh my goodness. And Bob is coming to San Diego. Bob's a friend and he's coming to San Diego to give a talk and in, in the middle of August. And uh, Lori and I are going to go and Bob's going to come over to the house for lunch. And so it's going to be fantastic. And this book, Peril, oh my gosh. And his book, Fear, oh my gosh. Oh, I'm, I'm searching for the bright side of the road, man. I mean, what a, what a lucky journey you've been on. I mean, just I mean, well, one is is to have achieved on the highest level on the court. There's a part of being an athlete that's like being an artist, too. Is that where the mutual admiration comes from? Yeah, oh, yeah. I love music. You know, music is the reflection of who we are, the songs and the words and the lyrics and, and the personalities and the willingness of guys to stand up. I mean, that was Bill Russell. That was Muhammad Ali. That was Martin Luther King. That was Bobby Kennedy. Uh, you know, that's the Grateful Dead, Bob Dylan, John Lennon, all these, you know, it's an endless list. And those are the people who I want to be with, you know, th throughout the seventies, you know, you know, every week, uh, you know, Jackson Brown, Graham Nash and Bonnie Raitt, the, you know, they're holding a concert for some cause and I'm there every single week, you know, and it's just fantastic. And, uh, you know, purpose. I live, I try to live a purpose-driven life in that the things I do have meaning and have a goal and an impact and, and, and all that stuff, it needs to be positive and it needs to be uh, encompassing and inclusive and uh, you know it, one of the great things about my parents were that you know they they really were encouraging to little billy and you know encouraging to be curious encouraging to explore and encouraging to experiment and so you know and then my, my my coaches, my basketball coaches, my basketball coaches never said, hey, man, slow it down. No, it's like, let's go. <laughs> and so, you know, and, you know, and, and all my coaches were John Wooden uh, disciples. And so, you know, now when I got to the NBA and I had Lenny Wilkins, phenomenal, Jack Ramsey, you know, Hall of Fame coaches, uh, Gene Shu, Paul Silas, Don Chaney, Casey Jones, Red Auerbach, Danny Crum at the collegiate level, you know. These coaches, you know, they, they're taking it uh, beyond the edge. And uh, I was more than willing to go beyond the edge. And uh, so, you know, I've got the, uh, uh, I got a new beam from Mickey Hart. And so, uh, and, 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 and one of the, 
dead team members on the on the production side of the band. They're staying, their family's staying here with us in San Diego right now. So he's been he's been working on the beam, tuning it up, and uh, we're because because I I love the flesh eating low end, you know, when it just when it just comes right through you and it just heals. And I'm always on Mickey, but come on, man, more of that, more of that, and then the guitar players come back and cut him off, right? But now I have my own beam here. And Ian is here working on it. And uh, I, I, I'm told by the neighbors that he had it going yesterday. Uh, I was out on uh, out on a business assignment. And so, but uh, he's got it going. And, uh, and, and hopefully I'll be able to continue that beam because that the rhythm and the flesh eating low end, man, that's what's going to take us to the promised land at the top of the mountain. And no boulders in our way are going to keep us from getting to the top and nobody makes it there alone and i'm going to remember to bring everything including my book exactly and i will send you some more books definitely i buy books please don't send me any no gifts my job is to help make you money sorry for ruining your show here no <laughs> no, no it's all awesome okay can i ask you one other question because sure. you're talking about the curiosity you're talking about juggling so many things when I read that you were sort of in between in your in your career and you went to law school in Stanford, right? And you're going to law school. You have three young kids, I think, at the time, right? Yeah, and the fourth was born while we were there. Okay, so so you got up on to the four. same day on the same day as the oldest child was born, and so we're having a, a, a six year old birthday party for Adam. It's on Halloween too, and it's kind of got a Halloween themed six year old birthday party for Adam. At the same time, in the back room, Chris, the youngest one, is being born. And so when the uh, when the parents came to pick up their children from Adam's six, six-year-old birthday party, they were asked, I could overhear them asking their children, so how was the party? What did you guys do? How, you know, was it fun? And they say, Mom, Dad, it was the greatest birthday party ever, and Adam got a little baby brother for his birthday. <laughs> and so... But it, to, to talk about the, the synchronicity of our lives and, and the synchro destiny of our lives. So Adam and Chris are born on the same day, six years apart, Halloween. And they're now 46 and 40. But uh, back in 2010, John Wooden had died June of 2010. And then October 31st, we're having a birthday party for the children who were, you know, I don't even they've got to be was uh, 12 years ago so they're in late 20s 30s or whatever they're having a birthday party here and the phone rings and it's and it's luke all right uh, uh one of our middle sons and luke is in the laker locker room and and uh the word had just come down that luke walton who's named after the greatest teammate i ever had maurice lucas luke calls to tell us that maurice lucas has just passed away and so we're just devastated and heartbroken. But then that night, the birthday night, the same day that Maurice Lucas passed away, Christopher, the youngest child, the first one uh, to get married, the first one to have a great wife, she, Gina gets pregnant and she goes into labor and delivers our first grandchild on the same day that Maurice passes away. The news comes from Luke Walton and it's Christopher and Adam's birthday. And so this little angel baby girl comes out as our first of now 14 grandchildren. And, and I lobbied and argued and begged and pleaded for Chris and Gina to name their new and first little girl to name her Luke. <laughs> but they wouldn't do it. They, they named her Olivia, and Olivia is fantastic and beautiful, and we're just so proud uh, of all the children, you know, happily married, uh, chasing their own dreams, building their own lives, creating new worlds, children, you know, six children, 14 grandchildren were the, were the luckiest people on earth, and Lori's still here. Exactly. So why, you know, you were asking a question about... Uh, well, your, I was asking about you juggling because because the one thing I mean uh, certainly law school law school law school but you were leaving the library of law school to go to the to the Great dead concerts yeah. oh yeah so 
This How are you juggling that? How is that possible? I can't imagine that law school was easy and the law two don't seem fantastic. to fit. Law school was fantastic. It was extremely challenging and stimulating. And I met great friends uh, who I still am very close with to this very day. Uh, it was the first time I'd gone to school since since fourth grade that I wasn't also trying to be a basketball player. And so the doctors told me I would never play again. Same way they told you, you'll never walk again. The same way they told me, I would never have success with my foot again. If my foot didn't start getting better, they're going to have to cut it off. I'm 28 years old. And so I had, well, while I was there at Stanford, I, I had to completely change my whole life. I needed something uh, where I'd be sitting down because uh, I cannot walk for pleasure. I walk for function. I still have both of my legs. And I can still walk from here to there, but I've got to make sure that there's a chair there when I get there. And so, <laughs> and so, uh, I had this operation. It never worked on anybody before, and I was the first guy it worked on. But I, I, I love Stanford Law School, and it was just a, a fantastic experience, life changing for me. And uh, and then you know, there, I I love the discipline of a full schedule. I love the responsibility and the challenge of getting as much done as possible. I, I, I need to be better at setting aside time to reflect. And I think John Wooden was spectacular at that. Uh, I, I got a lot of things going on. He did too. I mean, most people have a ton of things going on, but Coach Wooden, he did he insisted on taking that time to reflect and think and anticipate, and write things down and everything. And I need to be better at that. And so I'm going to probably write a, a book. I think I'm going to title it Things I Need to Remember Not to Forget. And uh, I got to make sure I got a Google search to make sure that that specific title has not been taken. And so uh, everything was, was by the clock. But really, that's been the way my whole life has always been since I can remember by the clock. And so my schedule then was up with the children at dawn, breakfast, school for the children. I'd drop them to school. I'd ride my bike across. Everything was on bikes in Palo Alto, Menlo Park in those days. Fantastic. And then, so, you know, we just lived right on the north edge of campus. And uh, just, uh, over there, uh, home for lunch with the children at, uh, in, in, in Menlo Park on my bike, back for the afternoon, home for dinner with the children, and then back to the law school library, but then at 10.45, 10.45 p.m., <laughs> I would close the books, and I would get on my bike, and I had a, I had one of those generator lights on your bike, remember the, that you would hit the little lever, and it would pop over to the front wheel, and, and as the wheel went around, the light came on, right, <laughs> and I would ride my, my bike down to Palo Alto, uh, or sometimes, it, uh, because Jerry was playing, uh, starting at 11, and it was quite the scene, you know. Uh, uh, John Belushi was there a lot, Woody Harrelson, Hunter Thompson, uh, Big Steve, always there, Jerry and his band, and it was it was just fantastic. And other nights, he'd be playing up at North Beach, I'd drive my car up there, because at that, that time of night in the Bay Area, in those days, you could get around, you know, 20 minutes from Palo Alto up to San Francisco or just over the bridge to Berkeley, you'd be playing there. And, you know, so, you know, growing up in California with the dead, just playing all the time, you know, it was fantastic. And so, you know, they don't play that kind of schedule anymore. Although uh, Bob Weir's keeping a very full schedule and his new band Wolfpack is over the top great. And we can't wait for them to continue. But, uh, you know, I beg and plead for more dead and company, but uh, they have learned not to listen to me. So, so moving forward, are you going to schedule a bit more time for reflection? Is that, that how you get to the point of, of reflection is scheduling it? I, I don't know. I, I mostly do, you know, my reflection so much happens on my bike yeah. and in the weight room. You know, there's three things that there's three things that people like you and I can do as we as we go through this wonderful life. We can go in the water, we can go in the weight room, and we can ride our bikes. And we hopefully I can do those things all the way to the very end. I have zero interest in retiring. I, I just love working. I love the jobs that I have. I love the people that I work with. And, and I just, and the more work that I do, 
the more good things I can do and the more positive impact I can try to have on a world that is growing dark and mean before our eyes. Yikes. Exactly. Well, Bill, we are thankful. I love Chris Waddell. I love Gene. Oh, my God. I can't wait to our next time actually in person, man. And I just, uh, I, I can never thank you enough. You know, I, I thank you for your kindness, for your patience, for your vision, for your passion, for your passion, for your enthusiasm, your industriousness, and your vision, and your willingness to show what is possible for, for a, a single human being. And then, and then the Dalai Lama, oh my gosh, and People Magazine, oh my gosh. I used to think I was the luckiest guy in the world. I, I yield back. I, I think you're still the luckiest guy in the world. This, is, this has been an incredible journey. Thank you for talking us through. I this. love you. I yeah. love you. I miss you. I look forward to our futures together. May the four winds blow you safely home. May you stay forever young. Shine on, roll on, play on, carry on great way to finish thanks a ton bill thanks to all of you for tuning in i hope you've enjoyed it again the greatest gift you can give us is to tell your friends to tell your friends to tune in to like us to follow us and we'll come back with another great guest we'll look forward to seeing you soon thanks a ton thank you for joining us please subscribe to chris waddell living it for more stories on the adaptive community the paralympics artists athletes entrepreneurs experts in the experience of being human. Also follow us on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, and Instagram. I look forward to seeing you next week.